Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Soho in New York. Please welcome this evening's moderator from Rolling Stone, David Ehrlich. And I've been told that I'm throwing it to a trailer for, uh, for The Witch. into this wilderness to find. Leaving our country, kindred, our father's houses. For what? For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. this family. So we are joined by three very special people from the film today, uh, two actors and the writer-director. The, the first person, if they're ready, back there, uh, is actor Ralph Einson, who plays William, the father of the puritanical family in the film. <laughs> Mr. Einson. The second is uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who plays William's daughter, Thomason, in the film. And finally, we are joined by writer, director, and I'm sure a host of other things, uh, Robert Eggers. Uh, so first, I, I, these things are always strange for an audience who hasn't necessarily seen the film, but I just want to say I saw this at a, uh, a 9 a.m. screening at Sundance last year, not knowing a thing about the movie other than my friend who works at Fandango saying, just, just trust me, just go see this. You'll thank me later. And uh, 
it, it is uh, still far and away the best thing that I've seen at, at Sundance, uh, that or any other year, and uh, it's been diminishing returns ever since. So <laughs> um, it's, wow. it's a really special movie, and I can't recommend it enough, and I hope we will be able to explain why. Um, but also, speaking to its specialness, the film was recently endorsed by the Satanic Temple, which is not something that you can say about all that many movies. Uh, I'm wondering if, if, for you, that was a seal of approval, if that was a validation that you were, you were going after? It's, um, it's nice to have fans. <laughs> um, great. So this movie concerns uh, the devil and, and things beyond that, the puritanical culture that was growing in America in the 17th century before the Salem Witch Trials in 1692. Uh, and I believe you grew up with a fascination with folklore, particularly of the New England variety. But I'm wondering if, if there was something about witches in particular uh, beyond all the other things that in Kutramala can come from that sort of folklore that spoke to you and made you really want to tell a story about them. Um, yeah, uh, this is a funny venue. I feel like uh, I'm like in a nightclub or something. <laughs> so I'm just getting used to it. Uh, yeah, so basically, um, you know, New England's past was always very much part of my consciousness. Uh, you know, if you've been to a small town in uh, rural New England, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can see New England's past is, is everywhere. And certainly the woods behind my house seemed haunted by the past to me. Uh, but also the earliest dreams that I can remember um, of, of my own are nightmares about witches. And I had sort of archetypal witch nightmares all into my adulthood. So uh, when I decided that the only way to seemingly in the, in the climate to make a film that could possibly get financed and made was to do a genre film. Uh, not that I dislike genre films or anything, but, uh, was, but was, uh, you know, I was like, I'm going to make an archetypal New England horror story uh, with the archetypal New England spook, because uh, this is something that's very personal to me. It's something that I can make without, um, you know, uh, compromising myself or my values. Uh, so, yeah, I set out to make, um, you know, a nightmare from the past. Uh, compromise is, is an interesting word a word for this because it seems like there's absolutely nothing compromised about the film or, or its making. There's such a rare sense of conviction in what's happening and that is shared from the aesthetic details as well as the performances. I don't think that uh, really the illusion would have been able to withstand a false note from any of the actors. Uh, and I'm wondering about the conviction that you guys bring to your, your respective parts if that was something that you had to sort of earn for yourselves because I can imagine there must have been some doubts reading the script and just being like, I don't know if this uh, is something that we can do. It's terrifying. It's insane. I mean, it was definitely a very scary film. Um, the script really jumped out. It's one of the most exciting scripts I've, I've ever read. Um, as far as conviction, the person that we don't have with us here tonight is uh, Kate Dickey, um, Liza Aaron from Game of Thrones. and She plays the, the mother in the family and her method of working the way she approaches every role is incredibly intense and driven and i think me and, and anya and the rest of the cast kind of felt compelled to to take on kate's working method to do robert's script justice so yeah i think we we went more intense perhaps than than i normally do at work to, to match yeah. kate really completely and also it's like if you have complete and utter empathy for your character, it's just, it's really difficult to not kind of get to that level of intensity just because you feel like you're not telling the story right. And it feels like you're letting them down as well. And so, it, like, you know, the script is incredibly intense, but it didn't feel, 
you know, like we went over the top ever in the sensation of kind of like really showing what these characters went through. And I think the detail that um, design-wise, particularly that with costume and the designs of the set, these kind of things were, were so immersive. There was there was so much research went into the, the the design of the show that you had to had to match that as well. In a sense, we had to be working on those kind of levels. We committed to like the pretend of it all because it wasn't pretend; it was all there and it was all like completely and utterly real. And so we could really, really commit to it, and hopefully that would bring the audience with us. And, you know, speaking of how the fidelity to the period details, there's also a contemporary flavor to the film, despite uh, the Puritan lifted dialogue, which we can talk about later and whatnot. There's something, you know, which stories about witches have always been very effective uh, and fertile ground for allegories in, in American uh, literature and film. And, of course, you know, the Red Scare is the obvious touchstone, but there are many more beyond that. But this doesn't seem to serve as an explicit allegory for any one particular thing, but it does also touch on, on ideas of uh, you know, feminine independence and puritanical. And I'm wondering if, if all of you really could just speak to what parallels you see between this story uh, in vague terms, I suppose, for the audience and, uh, and the world as we live in it now. I found it uh, immediately something that I could identify with uh, when I read the scripts from my character's point of view, from William's point of view, his, the dilemmas of being a father and trying to do the best by your family, trying to keep them safe, trying to keep them well, trying to provide for them, uh, felt very, very current and very modern, even though, you know, 1620 or 1630, uh, Puritan times, it, it felt that the family and the responsibilities for William to his family felt very modern. I mean, look, like, you know, I was trying to deal with archetypal subject matter and uh, if you know and archetypes you know reconstellate themselves over and over and over again in different ways so if it's archetypal it's always going to work if it's not it's it's not <laughs> you know uh, I didn't it, it, you know there was no intentions behind this film in terms of like modern uh, allegory or, or anything like that I was just simply trying to um, tell this story, try, try to, uh, you know, tell a story of witchcraft as uh, a lay family in Puritan New England might have believed it to be. But of course, when you're looking through this, this primary source material um, and, and then how it manifested itself in, in, in the script and the film, feminism is definitely like leaping off the page, leaping off the screen, and you can't uh, ign ignore that. Um, you know, um, yeah. We can talk more. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think that one of those things that, that I just mentioned that you may have gotten a glimpse of in the trailer, and if we watch a clip, you'll um, maybe, depending on the clips we have, be able to see for yourselves. But the dialogue is lifted, uh, as the title card says at the end of the film, often directly from various articles that they had from the time, uh, from the period in the film. Uh, and it makes for some sort of crackling dialogue between the actors. And I'm wondering if there's a bit you can remember, either of you, of, of the Puritan dialogue that was put into the script that you uh, particularly enjoyed saying as an actor and sort of had out of your mouth. I've definitely got a favorite line um, yep. from the movie, which was, <laughs> did ye make some unholy bond with that goat? You know. You could have 10 careers and never get to say a line like that. It's great fun. So, yeah, I love that line. I can't pick a favorite line just because, I, I mean, it was such an utter privilege to speak that way. It's so lyrical and poetic and, and beautiful, and it really kind of 
it's got like the sort of almost like nursery rhyme quality to it. And when, you know, first reading the script, you definitely see that kind of like going throughout. But in reality, it's like you're painting a picture with words and that's like just how they spoke. And this is like a pretty common family, you know, and so it's it was just an absolute pleasure and I really, really enjoyed it. I can't pick one. Um, you know, yeah, the thing is, like, it's a very interesting time in, in the English language, particularly for New England. New England uh, was the most literate part of the Western world, and it was illegal not to teach your children how to read uh, because reading the Bible in English was so important. You had to have this personal personal relationship with God, and that came from knowing uh, the Bible extremely, 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 extremely well. And, uh, you know, you, you, and you would, I'd find uh, wills from a, a farmer who could read but couldn't write, so this is dictated. So assuming the dictation is correct, you know, this is a common man who has a really interesting way of, uh, with words. It's kind of beautiful. Uh, the Geneva Bible is a very well-written uh, book, you know, frankly. Uh, and um, yeah, so so then you know, in in, in constructing this language, I uh, you know I have a background in Shakespeare, so I'm familiar with this kind of stuff. But uh, it was about uh, studying the vocabulary, studying the grammar and the gra and the rules, and then going through uh, these period sources and picking out sentences and phrases that I could use in any situation. And so earlier drafts were these monstrous collages of other people's words that I would slowly hone into something that was then, you know, uh, each of the characters would have their unique voices. But I did r leave some things deliberately intact. Things that children say when they're possessed are things that children actually said when they were possessed. Well, why don't we throw to that third clip just so we can give the audience a slightly better sense of what it is that we're talking about. Thomas, take the children outside. What does this to me? What does this? His mouth is sealed up. Mm. Oh, God. William. William. Mm. Mm. Hold him. Children, away from this. Thomas, in hell. He'll break his jaws. Riveting, riveting dialogue. Yeah. Sin, sin, sin. Oh wow! How did I? How could I ever have come up with that without primary source material? There, there's, there's more where that came from. Yeah. There is plenty more where that came from. It's just fun to terrify everyone at the Genius Bar. I think who's just here to get their iPod fixed. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I don't want to downplay the effect to which this is an incredibly unnerving horror film, and I, but I think it takes a very different philosophy and approach to horror filmmaking than we see, regrettably, uh, a lot these days. You've said that your influences are more Ingmar Bergman and, and the Stanley Kubrick and The Shining than uh, Wes Craven and that ilk. And I'm wondering if you can talk about just sort of philosophically, in this more stately approach that you've brought to this film, what informed that, if it was the period or just your sort of approach to filmmaking in general? I mean, it's just, that's the kind of filmmaking I, I like. I mean, you know, uh, and, but as far as like horror, uh, you know, some people are saying like, hey, look, this is not a horror film. This is a psych psychological suspense thriller with supernatural elements or, or whatever. And like, that's cool, man. Like, but you know, a rose by any other name can be scary. Uh, I mean, 
Like, I just, I just, you know, if this isn't horror, I'm not saying that this is equivalent, but tone-wise, like, Lovecraft's not horror. Poe's not horror, you know? I mean, for me, horror is about, you know, actually confronting what is dark in human nature uh, and, 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 you know, really digging into it and not shining a quick flashlight on it and running away giggling. You know, I think the reason why people don't say this is maybe not horror is because it's not this kind of, like, teenage masochistic frivolous experience where you can, like, jump and throw popcorn in your girlfriend's face. But <laughs> I just, I'm just not interested in that kind of stuff. People will still do that, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm someone who really has a very low tolerance for jump scares. Uh, all, and I was reminded watching this movie how effective they can be rather than just some, some sort yeah, of physiological Yeah, sometimes you, sometimes you need some. I mean, like, I've had dreams where someone just jumps out of a corner and stabs me to death. I mean, that's an effective jump scare. And, but used in moderation, used sparingly, like they are here, do you feel like they acquire a much greater power rather than just sort of uh, raising of the volume and then it drops out and blah and repeat? I mean, that's my technique for the <laughs> jump scares in this film. But yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, ask the audiences. But I, for, for me, like, you know... It, if you're just oversaturating with stuff, like it just doesn't work. Like I think, you know, with the supernatural stuff in this film, uh, there there are a couple exceptions to what I'm about to say, but basically anything supernatural that manifests itself physically that you actually see on screen, minus like two shots or something, are things <clears throat> that you can justify justify scientifically. Like the way you see them, you could find some kind of justification for it scientifically, and therefore. Uh, I think for a contemporary audience, it's scarier. Uh, you know, like if you, like, like The Exorcist, when it came out, was super scary because no one had ever seen any crazy crap like that. But today, the exorcisms get more and more CG weird, and the more and more we are aware of the artifice, and the more and more, like, they don't do anything for us. Um, so I think, you know, restraint uh, is key. It's key to keep the monster in the shadows. You know, if you, you know, if you've got a monster under the bed, you turn, turn the light on, I mean, it's not there anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And aside from a few particular shots that you'll know, uh, the ones that I'm referencing, was there a, a very limited amount of CG in the film? Was the philosophy just to avoid it whenever possible? Even in those shots, it's limited. I mean, uh, we, nothing was CG as far as like nothing was created. Uh, everything uh, was practical and uh, there is composite work and CG to kind of like... Uh, clean things up, uh, you know, I just, again, like, um, the, the working with the goat was the most, was the biggest nightmare of all time, times a thousand million plus ten, um, but I am so glad that uh, we don't have a CG goat. Uh, just a quick, quick goat anecdote please, while we're here. Please. Oh, Ralph? God. Uh, yeah, Charlie, the goat, who, uh, Robert said earlier on today had two modes which were sleeping and attacking me. <laughs> I'd had to lose a lot of weight for the for the movie and so the goat was actually heavier than me and obviously walking around on four four feet. Uh, so I had to fight him virtually every other day. Uh, he put me in the ER three times during the shoot. Detached a ten tendon from my rib at one point. Uh, so we had a really, really horrible relationship, me and Charlie, and uh, hopefully that comes across in the film. So when you, when you hear Leonardo DiCaprio going on about how difficult The Revenant was to shoot, yeah, you're whatever. like, oh, shush. <laughs> whatever. You want to try fighting Charlie the Goldman. Yeah. Yeah. Eat your bison liver, whatever, whatever. You know. And there's also, I mean, I, I don't know, uh, I think this is a directorial 
secret, but how you made these otherwise adorable animals in this film look as sinister as you do. There's a rabbit who appears on two different occasions that uh, forever sort of changed my outlook on rabbits for the worse. So, uh, that, It's a hare. My, my apologies. <laughs> no, but this is, so like, you know, in, in trying, uh, 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 I mean, sorry, I'm not trying to be a, a dick, uh, but, but basically, look, but here's the thing, um, you know, in trying, in creating this story and going through these texts, uh, it's like the same tropes come up in the folk tales, in the fairy tales, and in the real accounts of witchcraft. Uh, the real world and the fairy tale world in the 17th century were the same thing for like everyone, but like 10 members of the intelligentsia who are skeptics. Uh, and so you'd, you'd, I'd find like a court record of a Elizabethan witch being put on trial for giving a child a poison apple, you know, uh, cool. So anyway, in constructing the story, it's like, what are the tropes that always appear? Those need to go in the story. The ones that always appear in every single one. What are the ones that speak most personally to me? Those need to go in there. And then what are these weird exotic half forgotten things that I just don't know why they're sort of and you know and the hair for example is one of those things the hair is a huge part of European mythology and European folklore and it's very tied up with witches but somehow it didn't really make it over here I guess because we have like jackrabbits we don't have like the European brown hair with those wily crazy eyes and and that like mangy frantic look um so, and, 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 you know, and sometimes people are just like, why was there a bunny in that movie? What the hell is that supposed to be? But uh, when it does work for people, it's because that's, that's this archetype that's just kind of like clanking around in the unconscious of Western culture even here, and we don't even know why. Uh, well, we're going to turn it over to the audience if you guys have any questions. Robert, all right, first thing, I think you have a background in production design, and obviously it really shows a lot, but when it comes to especially starting it out first, with... How important, like how much time do you spend on the production design and what do you think is best in sort of making it work with the story? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, look, before I get into time, uh, like there's like, I didn't obsess over Puritan buttons just because I like buttons. I didn't obsess over like the, the, saw, the, the, the saw marks and the floorboards because I like saw marks. Like, I mean, I do like buttons and saw marks. I do, it's sad. But uh, it's, it's, it really finally is, an, it's in the purpose of telling the story. It's about like immersing you in the world. If you can't you know, be actually transported to the 17th century, then you can't actually be transported into the mindset of these English uh, Puritan Calvinist settlers. And if you can't do that, then you can't believe in the witch and the whole movie just doesn't work. So that's why this is important, you know? And like, no one's gonna stand up and, and say, like, those clabbards aren't the right clabbards. Those are cedar, they should have been oak. Fail, fail, fail. No one's gonna do that. But the more you let things slide like that, the more that the whole thing, like, uh, doesn't work. And, and, and also, again, like accuracy for accuracy's sake also doesn't really matter, uh, but but this particular film uh, in in the approach to it, like it, the accuracy, the historical accuracy was important to me. Like I think, um, you know, uh, yeah. But and, and there are some places where we do break the rules, uh, but we know when we're breaking them and why. Um, now, as far as um, like for example. Uh, the Garrett, <clears throat> there's a, well, you guys haven't seen the movie, so I'm not going to get into that. Anyway, um, basically time, I mean, I, I had too much time on my hands because no one wanted to finance the film. So I had four years to like research this stuff 
uh, and I had, before I hired designers, I had elevations of my own drawings of all the buildings and all the costumes. I mean, <clears throat> Craig Lathrop, the production designer, Linda Muir, the costume designer, they redid it all. They did their own research, you know, combined with mine and, you know, made things much greater than I could have ever done on my own. Um, but, but certainly I was able to be specific so the 1630s isn't a period that has appeared on film very much. Um, and I think in the past it's mostly actually been about this period with the witches. Um, is there anything about the lifestyle of that period, like the farming or socially, that you learned that was interesting? Yeah, I mean, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that we, that we found out during, during the research and, and shooting the movie was, I, I found fascinating, the whole... Uh, the differences between Europe and America and the things that yeah. they had to learn, these farmers, and they had to adapt the way they had to adapt to, to a new way, of, new way of working, new way of growing the crops. Uh, all those kind of side of things were, were fascinating, yeah. I mean, something like the goats. So in England, it wasn't cool to have goats. Like, you were a bit of a failure if you had goats. Like, it wasn't great. But when you came over to kind of New England, I guess, you know, they would eat everything, so they would clear a lot of things. So, like, you really wanted to have goats in New England. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I, I have so many things that you could just, you know, we could be here for a week. What is it that you think we as people are ultimately afraid of? You've stumped us all. I, um, I, I'm, I, look, for me, it's just, it's just I mean, it, like, it's, it's a blanket thing, but it's just, you know, uh, the, the darkness in humanity is uh, pretty disturbing. Um, and, and that, you know, I mean, I think, like, uh, what that foot does for you, like, you know, you know I, I, I don't know, but it's, it's something unknown, it's something dark, it's something, you know, thonic from the underworld, and, uh, and you know, we're all sort of, like, uh, drawn into and repelled by, uh, you know, death and destruction and primal forces. I think from the, the point of view of, of William, my character, I think that his fear of, of failure and of not being seen as, as the, the most devout and greatest Christian, uh, I think that fear of, of how others perceive us and our pride, I think is a, is a big fear for a lot of people. I think that resonated with me when I, when I read the script. And I mean, in terms of like, I know you don't want to go into like what the foot does for you, but what the foot does for me is, oh, let's no, nope, <laughs> yeah. let's rephrase that a little bit. Um, thank you. Uh, I think it's kind of that feeling like when you're in your house and you hear a noise and you kind of, you stay completely still and you're like, is this real? Is this real? Is this real? Enter foot. It's real. You're in trouble. Would you say that part of what the film is getting at is, are the consequences of not confronting these fears in an organic way? Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, I mean, look, look, like, like you know, the the Puritans, with all their obsession over original sin, are are turning their backs on all this stuff, and 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 uh, you know, you know, as Anya was saying earlier today, like anything animalistic, anything sort of primal uh, is not to be discussed, it's not to be looked at, and the more you kind of like bottle this stuff up, the more it's gonna explode all over you, and uh, you know, hence the witch uh, becomes uh, like inescapable. First thing, since this is your first feature, uh, one of the big things is sort of since number one, how do you really find your voice with your first feature in a sense? Because like there's so much 
discipline with the filmmaking in that and like just I like eyeing it up and like I, I, I took a lot from it. I did a short over the break and like just, but like I'm trying to see what your method for kind of being disciplined with the filmmaking and what inspired you for this. And for you guys, Ralph and Anya, how, what's the best way you guys got in a character for this film? It's, it's very, it's, I don't wanna say grueling like in a bad way, but it seems like it's a ton of work and could like really like do you guys in. Uh, you know, I made several short films before this, um, and, you know, and I watched films a lot, uh, and, uh, and, like, really super aggressively, and I read a lot, um, not, like, film theory, though, sometimes, um, and, uh, and I take a lot, a lot of notes, and I break films down that I like a lot, and I break plays down that I like a lot, and I break novels down that I like a lot, and I just break shit down that I like a lot and try to figure out how, uh, you know, what makes it tick. Uh, and, you know, and also, uh, you know, a, a big part of this is my collaboration with Jaron Blaschke, uh, the DP, who's a real artist, and I don't, like, say that about people. Um, and, you know, Jaron shot all my shorts that aren't crap, and I worked with him on a lot of um, other people's films with me as a designer, and you know when when we we, we you know we really we love each other, uh, we care about each other, um, and and we, and, and we respect each other um, as 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 craftsmen, and so we tried to get each other on on each other's jobs, and it wasn't just because we liked each other, it's because we respect the work, um, and so through that we were able to like find a way of working together very closely. So. Um, again, because this took so long, uh, I, I, you know, I had a lot of time to really plan this thing out, and it was like rigorously uh, blueprinted, and uh, near it was nearly cut in camera. Um, you know, I don't really believe in traditional coverage, um, so they had to deal with that. <laughs> and I mean, in terms of getting into character, like Rob is was so incredibly giving and the fact that everything was so historically accurate and you know you've got the costumes and the farmhouse and it was all just kind of there for us and so we would show up to work and you know just have our world kind of like already laid out and so it was quite easy to sort of you know once you've gotten dressed and once you're walking around and you're speaking in this way it's just like it's easy to kind of tap into that world but I will also say that like with the subject matter thank God we're not like complete method actors because this would be horrible. Like it would be really tough to make this film over five weeks if we never, you know, tapped out of it. And in between scenes, we, would, we, we had a lot of laughs. But we also had the, the benefits of being out in the middle of nowhere um, in a very, uh, very remote location. So no cell, uh, cell phone service, no Wi-Fi of any kind. So it really did cut us off, and there were no distractions. There was no no traffic, no none of the the normal things of modern life, where you know you can pop around the corner to get a Starbucks when you're not in a scene or anything like that. It was you know you were there, you were in the middle of this this uh, this forest in northern Ontario, and you were there for the the whole day. And it was for a modern person to have, to have all those distractions taken away. It made it very easy to 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 tap, in. to tap into this this world. And Robert, I've read that the familial bond between your characters was very important and therefore having a week of rehearsal uh, was sort of instrumental to you guys finding your roles and the dynamic between yourselves. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys did over that time to, to find these characters? Um, yeah, I'll just, obviously you guys can talk way more about this, but I think, uh, you know, the... 
uh, it was my, like, when I found the investors who actually wanted to do this, I was really lucky because they let me cast whoever I wanted. So I was looking for people who are good actors, but also good people. Um, you know, I knew this shoot was going to be tough, and I couldn't have divas uh, because it would have just, the whole thing would have fallen apart, uh, like, just, like, the schedule. But then additionally, you know, like, people needed to be able to, like, support each other going into these dark places. Uh, and in order to see a family fall apart, there has to be love there uh, first. And if, how can we possibly be invested in this story if we don't actually care about the characters? We don't see that they're that they are trying their best to like to <laughs> to love each other. Uh, so so you know so there is that stuff. Uh, and then you know and then you know the nitty gritty is we had 25 days to shoot, which turned into 26 uh, days. Uh, to shoot this thing, which for a $3.5 million budget, 26 days is great. Before what we were trying to accomplish, it was absolutely nothing. So it was important that everyone knew their way around the farmhouse, knew how to use bill hooks and harvest corn and milk goats and all that kind of stuff. And also just um, just the blocking. Uh, just People need to know they're, know they're blocking. And, uh, you know, they're, this, that little clip from that scene where Caleb's possessed... Uh, was the one scene that wasn't meticulously blueprinted because it's basically 11 pages of screaming uh, uh, with with the entire uh, ensemble cast and Jaren and I were like, man, we we just have to like like work this out like organically like a like a like a, a theater piece and Jaren was just there with a camera like constantly like work watching the rehearsals and then it was a huge huge collaboration like that scene I'm so proud of. It's a, it's a scene that the, the film hinges on, and it was just a massive collaboration. Harvey's performance never could have been so incredible without Ralph, uh, particularly, and Kate, and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, Harvey's father, Scott. I mean, it was everybody drilling and drilling and drilling and working and figuring out how can we do this? How can we come together to do this scene? How was it when you guys went back home to the family life? Did you guys have, like, nightmares? And when you adjusting to the system... How did you adjust to the social life and to the internet and going answering phone calls and actually being there? It, it was the hardest decompression I've ever had um, <laughs> in my career, going home. My kids are over there and we're uh, probably nodding and going, yeah, he was a lunatic. But yeah, <laughs> I came back and yeah, I was, I was quite affected uh, by, by what we'd done. And yeah, I didn't want to cut my hair off. As well. I had all the hair. Yeah. I was really just kind of holding on to everything. Kate I and I were really upset when he cut his hair. We were like, no. Keep it, keep it. Um, uh, and for me, I guess it was more like I was really surprised at how private I was about it. And I think we all kind of shared this, that we didn't really talk about it with other people. You know, we'd talk about it with like, like even with my parents. My parents would be like, you know, what was like filming the movie like? And I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Like, it's it's Surprise. for me. No, it's for me. It's It's something, we did something incredibly special and very intimate. And it really does belong to all of us. And, you know, we keep saying it, but there's so much love there that it really felt too precious and I didn't want to dilute it for myself. Yeah. um, But then it just sort of like, now it's just kind of coming out and we're kind of like, gung ho, let's do it. Uh, Well, thank you all for coming. Thank you for being here. The Witch is absolutely incredible. It's in theaters on Friday. Uh, You should all go see it. I hope if you're here that you will. Uh, Please give it up for Robert, Ralph, and Enya. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.